0: All right, everybody, we have, is it the rector, the reverend, rector's the father, my... you were called father. <laughs> yeah. Occasionally people use that. Rector is my job. Rector, okay, rector's
1: the job, it's all new lingo to me. Yeah, and my name, which is good enough for, I think, the Lord and everybody else, <laughs> is is all you have to use, but title in our tradition would be the reverend, mister. Okay. Okay. And then, but, if but not Mr. Reverend. No, no, no. no. just <laughs> it's like uh, this is probably the most boring way to begin this podcast is a discussion of titles and honorifics. But uh, you know how you would call a judge the Honorable So and So presiding. Yes, Judge of course. Judy, Your Honor. But you don't call her the Honorable. Yes. So you don't call me the Reverend, although people do that all the time. You're just because Ah Reverend. I am. I am. No, no. You can. No. I mean, it's not the or a, whichever. That's it's not the article. That's the problem. <laughs> it's the uh, the. It's uh, you know you you wouldn't use honor. You wouldn't say hey honorable Gustafson. Yes. You'd say the honorable judge Gusta. The honorable Mister Gustafsson, whatever. So yeah. Mister is the title or whatever. Anyways, we should probably scrap all this and start it's all perfect. over. Perfect, okay. ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> joining us today, my
0: dear friend, Aaron Zimmerman, uh, pastor, priest. Both of us. Rector, things. yes. Reverend, all all Mr. Through. Judge, honorable. <laughs> um, Aaron has, let me give you a little brief bio before yeah. we get going. Then you can introduce yourself. I'll correct you where you go wrong. Um, Aaron and I swapped emails 4 years ago. Yep. And then we 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 didn't swap emails anymore.
1: Well, you said you were a Nigerian prince and I
0: didn't believe I, you. Were. I did. And I asked for some bitcoin <laughs> and it never came. And uh, then somehow, some way, the divine spirit leads us to this little beautiful community called Saint Alban's Church, and he was super friendly to my wife and I and my girls. And next thing you know, uh, I'm under his. Am I under your like tutelage or your teaching or your? Yes. I'm, a, I'm a sheep, and you're the shepherd. That's right, one of those That's things. Right, I am your Father in Christ. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Aaron has become a dear friend and a guy that I look up to, and, um, we've been talking podcast interview for a long time. Yep. And it's never happened, but today... Here we are. We've got a couple cups of coffee, and, uh, we don't know where this is going, but, but it's going somewhere good.
1: We're flying just by instruments at this point. (laughs) So, you are, um, in the thread of the Episcopal Church. Yep.
0: Um... I ask every guest that comes on the show when you introduce yourself and your work in the world, where do you begin? So I'll ask you when you introduce your Reverend Rector, Father Judge Honorableness, and yeah. that work in the world, where do you begin?
1: I always tell people that I have three full time jobs, which is that I am a preacher and a teacher, I run a nonprofit organization. Uh, and I am also a pastor, which means I, I come alongside people either in the joys or the difficult times in their lives, and walk with them through whatever that is. So celebrate the mm-hmm. good things and cry with them in the bad things, and just and and uh another way to talk about it is I also help people. This is the old way that the hatch, match, and dispatch. Mm-hmm. So the births, the marriages, or significant relationships, and then the and the hatch. Death. Hatch, Hatch match, match dispatch. That's right. <laughs> so uh, we are we are your cradle to grave spiritual yeah. uh, help and sustenance and, and you know food, you've seen food some food things. The journey I've seen a lot of things. You've seen some things, yeah. Um,
0: let's rewind back a little bit okay. to maybe to to learn how you got here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've heard a little bit of your story. Mm-hmm. I probably don't know all of it. Um, I know that there was a stop at Harvard mm-hmm. for a while. Let's go even before then, though. Okay. Um, your... Summers in Rangoon. Summers... <laughs> uh, at what point did, uh, and we'll use all sorts of words in this dialogue. Yep. Did this, Can't did, not do it. Did, did the spirit stir? Mm. Uh, at, at what point did you go, there's something
1: here? Hmm. I want to know it. All right. We're going deep. We're going deep. Uh, cue flashback and childhood montage. I um, was born in Houston, Texas. Okay. My mother was a Roman Catholic, and let's be honest, still More is. Roman than Catholic? Can't wash that stuff out. It's with you forever. <laughs> uh, my father grew up Methodist. He'd found the Episcopal Church in his teenage years and really liked it. He's a fan of hymnody and... Beautiful architecture and things like that, and so when they met, the Episcopal Church was a good middle ground. So, and all what's interesting, I, I was I was born at St. Luke's Episcopal Hospital in Houston, Texas. The my my twin sister and I were born. You were hatched very early. We are hatching. <laughs> yep, those little eggs began to crack, and we used our little little, little little beaks <laughs> to poke out, and. um uh, they thought we were going to die because we were we were small, tiny. tiny, not really. And this was in the late nineteen seventies, so you know, care for uh, preemies was not what it is today. And so they thought we were not going to make it. So they Episcopal Hospital and my parents again. They were they they probably even hadn't ever attended church together at that point because it was a whirlwind romance and. Uh, I don't even know when they started going to the Episcopal Church with us as a family. And we didn't end up going often. So, spoiler alert, we survived. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, they thought at that point we were going to die or could die. And so they were like, and this is where mom's Roman Catholicism probably kicks in. She's like, we've got to get these babies baptized. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so since it's an Episcopal Hospital, they called a priest who did a lot of visitations at that hospital. Episcopal priest came and baptized us in the incubator. Like the, wow. the doctor and the nurse were the godparents for that baptism. Uh, and and I'll go ahead and give away kind of a cool thing. Much later on, as an ordained Episcopal priest, I also visited that same NICU um, when I was serving in Houston before coming to Waco and wow. was able to minister to families in that same place. So it's very, you know, worlds colliding sort of thing. Totally. But anyways, back, yeah. back to my story. <laughs> back to me. Um, father was a diplomat. My mom had a lot of different careers, mostly in education, in various ways, but we moved a lot, Mm -hmm. and uh, I think I'd lived sort of in maybe eight addresses by the time I was ten, and I had memories of church, but they were consistent in that wherever we lived and wherever we tended to dip our toe in a church, it was really boring. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see how it connected to anything. And yet, you ask you asked a question which nobody... People want to know, like, my church story, but they never ask, what's your God story? Mm-hmm. Because even though we rarely went to church, absolutely, God was on my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in my heart. Yeah. And I have a very clear memory of my father, who's not the world's biggest churchgoer, teaching me the Lord's Prayer when mm-hmm. I was like three or four. Uh, I remember him doing the Now I lay me down to sleep prayer with mm-hmm. me and my twin sister. Uh... And from that age, almost every night I would go through like a grocery list of kind of prayer. Hmm. Dear God, please bless my mom, my dad. Like I would just name all these people. And by the time I got into my early adolescence, the biggest spiritual influence in my life was my atheist older brother. If you're listening, love you. (laughs) Uh, And I love him, loved him then, love him still. And, uh, He's probably, other than me, um, he's probably read more of the New Testament than any other members mm-hmm. of my family. So we have interesting conversations. But he was an atheist, is an atheist. Uh, and he, I thought he, I worshipped the ground he walked on. He was mm-hmm. cool. He was, he was an older brother, mm-hmm. you know, had things figured out, had a car, you know, was a cool guy. And so I, with him, kind of was like, oh yeah, religion's made up and... Uh, and he was not one of those, as I'm saying this, I'm thinking about, I'm making him sound like some stoner who read Ayn Rand and was like, you know, <laughs> yes, this is all true. Um, uh, religion's a complete construction of mankind. And it wasn't like that at all. He's, he, he, um, had a lot of thoughtful things to say. And so I was like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll get on board. But even though I was now kind of agnostic and beginning to tiptoe t- mm-hmm. towards atheism, I couldn't go quite there. And I was still praying my prayer every night. Mm-hmm this God I was less and less believing in I couldn't shake it and it wasn't until high school the eighth grade ninth grade uh, we moved to a new town started going to a church there uh, St. Paul's Episcopal Church in winston sale North Carolina and there was a new youth minister there and through her ministry Laura Smith what up uh, and a shout out to Smitty uh, her ministry and a priest there um and my sister started a an older high school student who was in who was going in life, and so we started going in life. Yeah. Which is a you know yeah. for any of your listeners who don't know, non denominational ministry to high school students. And in all those different places I began to hear about Jesus in a way that was really compelling. And no one had ever really talked to me about that before, mm. except my atheist older brother. But um and and I was captivated. I had some real questions, wasn't convinced but it's the first time I'd heard not just sort of do you believe in God mm-hmm. this great intelligent being somewhere but it's the first time I'd ever really heard anybody talk about Jesus and I was completely enthralled and 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 my mind was blown when I began to read the New Testament mm-hmm. because first of all he gets called the son of man all the time what's that about never yeah. heard anybody talk about the son of man but that's all they call him in the gospels yeah. and the way he interacted with people. So um, that's when it all kind of became real hmm. to me. Now, I've talked a lot. So no, I'll you're good. Pause there. Did you,
0: was was in that early high school, late high school timeline, did you, did you feel like a, a path of ministry was something, was a road you were going to go down? Or is that, does that actually start to happen?
1: Heck yes, I did. You just knew. It's not, so what happened was, I started uh, dragging my family to church every Sunday.
0: <laughs>
1: parents and everybody. Oh, it was the, it's the worst form of teenage rebellion. Is, yeah, parents and everybody. Johnny Jesus. Yeah. Oh, like, could you please party and, you know, drink more? <laughs> uh, but because now they got to get up early on Sunday morning and like shower and get dressed. So we started going and I began to hear the words that I say most Sundays these days. Um yeah, uh, you um, when we had fallen into sin and become subject to evil and death, you and your mercy sent your Son Jesus Christ. Um, uh, that whole kind of creation, fall, redemption story, and this, this tale of a God who loves and will not abandon mm. God's creation. And I heard those words. I'd heard them before. They'd never made sense to me before, but now they did. Mm. And I had this little thought bubble prayer come out of my... If you could have seen what was... What it was Cartoon thought. My Cartoon thought. It was sort of like, why did nobody ever connect these dots for me in the past? I've heard these prayers. Why did no sermon or mm. some person in the church or a authority figure in my life... Why did nobody ever help me understand what these words mean? Yeah. And um, I'm, I did not hear an audible voice, but I had a definite impression... That God answered that question, but He did it the way Jesus often does, which is with another question, yep. and sometimes with a little with a little heat on that on that ball as He pitches it over the plate. <laughs> um, it's not an easy lob. Um, it, it was um, so. My question was, why did nobody ever explain this to me? And the impression I got back was, why don't you explain it to people, mm-hmm. smart Alec? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I immediately kind of regretted the question because mm-hmm. <laughs> now it was on me. Yeah. And well, then I spent the next ten years figuring that out mm. and going through high school and college with that little voice in the back of my head. Yeah. But also, um, not wanting to do it. I didn't know anybody. Nobody in my family, I'll say, was had been a pastor, or it wasn't a common had been shown the path. Wasn't yeah, and I didn't know what the path was, and uh, I'm someone who, um, you know, the the things about me that I don't like. One of them is that I'm probably overly attracted to shiny things, Hmm. prestige. I don't know material possessions, things like that, and and wanting the world to sort of uh, think I'm a successful person. And I don't, I know you can't relate to that in any way, but there are people for whom that is that's important. Us threes, us threes. That's right on the old Enneagram. So ministry did not seem to fit with that. Hmm. I was like, the Lord's going to ruin my life. Yeah, I'm going to be poor. I'm going to be eating stale bread on a daily basis. <laughs> it's going to be the worst. Um, nobody will like me and I won't have any friends Um, so through a lot of college I sort of thought I would go do some corporate thing that was lucrative and prestigious and that would impress people Mm -hmm. but as I got to my senior year I just felt like that felt hollower and hollower and so I knew that I would be doing it for the wrong reasons. There are people that do it for the right reasons and mm-hmm. praise God and they should be. I'm, I'm glad for them doing it. But for me, I knew that's not, I knew I was doing it only for the shallow things yeah. and not for any deep love or joy. And that felt false. So I ended up going to Kazakhstan for two years uh, uh-huh. to do some educational work and some ministry work. And part of the reason of going was to get away from the madding crowd yeah. and have some time working with people in a spiritual context to discern and pray and think about the next chapter. Yeah. And I came back from that really feeling like the most important questions in the world. What is God? Why are we here? Where are we going? What is the nature of meaning and matter and everything? Those questions which we label spiritual but are mm-hmm. Very real and very material. Yeah, those questions are the most important things. Mm-hmm. They're the questions I want to talk about. Yeah, and helping other people have those conversations or being in those conversations with other people seem like the most meaningful thing to do with my life. And I really want, and that's what so in in our time, space, place, and history, the way you do that is you become a the physical priest, I guess, or at least for me, that's the path that made sense because that was the tradition I came out of and. All that. So that's not, I've left some. No, and here you are. And here I am. In Waco, so, America. In Waco, America. That's right. And uh, there was a stop along the way working at Harvard Business School. There was a stop along the way in corporate America. There was a stop along the way um, in seminary. And, and, mm. and now here I am. I ch- served churches in Pittsburgh, uh, Houston, and now Waco, America. Got married. Have three kids. One's in college now. One one child is at Rice yeah. University.
0: You're kind of all grown up now, man. I know, and you're here. I know. Um, what like reflecting on my own 22 year old decision right out of school, and and realizing how big of a deal some of those decisions were. Uh, how how did that? You're at Harvard you're you're given the go build it bigger go build something bigger than yourself scale it Mm. find yourself be somebody and yet the still small voice is stirring within you i i i feel like that had to have that experience has has carried you Mm. some because it's not easy to make those decisions in the midst of you mentioned the herd mentality Mm -hmm. like it's really really not how I mean have you seen that that decision be like a pivotal place for you in your journey?
1: The deci- which decision?
0: The decision to say thank you Harvard for this, I'm going to go this way and enter the ministry and we'll see where this goes.
1: Yeah, it was hugely pivotal and uh and I think It was, uh, it's funny, so I graduated from Harvard uh, undergrad in 99, okay. and I just, I didn't also go to grad school, but I did say I, I worked at Harvard Business School, I want to, if your listeners are keeping notes at home, they're like, <laughs> which Harvard is he talking about? So I went to Harvard undergrad, and then later on I worked at the business school. I did not get a degree there, I don't have an MBA, I barely even know how to count, but <laughs> the, um, the dis- so I graduated from Harvard in 99, so I'm looking for jobs spring of 1999 this is pre-crash of 2000 so the tech bubble burst but before that um, i remember having a conversation with my dad who thought i was bananas for not moving out to silicon valley or trying to get a job in that world and because here i am with this golden ticket that he helped pay for and and i'm not doing it you're going to central asia what yeah Uh, to do good and uh make no money what are you doing um what was interesting though there's sort of this thing at Harvard where there were also um students who felt like um who who looked with disdain upon those who went to work for Goldman Sachs or McKinsey hmm. or Bain or whatever so there was a certain set of the the crunchy Leonard Cohen listeners mm-hmm. who were like ooh <laughs> you're going to Kazakhstan like that's awesome um so i don't I, so you know i it, it's you know, the the fact that I talked about not going into this, you know, following the herd where you get the praise and adulation, I still managed to get some praise and adulation sure. from a different group of people. So, um, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. But I think the I think what was significant for me, and I am great grateful for this, somebody told me, a wise person told me as I was thinking about what to do with my life, he said that the the world of finance and empire building and ladder climbing... That is not going away. And if you want to go back to that at some point, it will welcome you with open arms. Yeah. You have these, at that time it was just going to be a year, it ended up being two years, but you have this first year after college. You will never have a time like this again in your life. You have sort of all the roads before you. If you think you might be called to ministry, try it out. It's really hard if you get on the that Fast track or that rat race or whatever—it's really hard to get out of that yeah. once you're in it. Um, it is very easy to get back in. So and and this and if you try ministry and you don't like it, then mm-hmm. uh, you know, then you can move forward with confidence. Yeah. Go chase that almighty dollar or whatever it is, or that corner office, um, and you'll know that uh, you know you you gave it a shot. Yeah. So, I think um, yeah, that that decision was was really. Important. And I
0: think my question is—is is maybe I'm helping myself. Help you well, help helping yourself. myself find help a question me help you. a little bit better. The it's a muscle to step into uncertainty and mystery, um, and maybe it's not a muscle, but it's a practice. Yeah, and I didn't have that practice. It was not that was not an easy one for me at twenty two. I can't yeah. imagine it was easy. It's easy for anybody at that age, but my senses are that first great leap mm. into the mystery, uncertainty, um, you experience the order, disorder, reorder, and you come out on the other side saying, Shalom. This not so bad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Shalom with the Texas twang. That's Shalom. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it. it one of the things that was really important, uh, there were a lot of things that were important about that time, That kind of stepping out. Um, it... It massively simplified my life.
0: Hmm.
1: So I found myself living in a, the typical five-story Soviet era apartment building with a kitchen uh, that was probably about 25 feet square. Wow. You know, every Soviet apartment had it was the same layout, same tiny kitchen, same like small fridge, small stove. You know, it was an industrialized, uh, middle-class kind of life, but everything was sort of mm-hmm. shrunk down to make sure everybody could get it. Um, but uh, shopping at a local market, it's sort of the life that people say they want now, but nobody actually has. Right. And I didn't really know that I needed it then, but it was, it a—you was you know, I had to walk actual stairs up to my apartment. Yeah. There was no elevator, and um, it was a very simple life, uh, and... I think that was important about that time. And I think there's a disorienting effect that happens. You talked about, you know, kind of getting into the disorder. Um, Being removed from any um, sort of... Any currency that existed in my old life of what makes you valuable no longer matters. Didn't exist there. Didn't exist. And I was an outsider. So I felt like... uh, Furniture gets rearranged. Yes. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. And, um, also learning a new language and eating different foods. And, and, uh, I think it was extremely disruptive and extremely important. And I think getting away, I mean, talk about zooming out mm-hmm. and getting perspective on what kind of matters and what doesn't matter. And so that was all uh, an important part of that, um, experience. I'd say another disordering and reordering though happened at, at Harvard too as an undergrad, mm. um, and maybe it's what enabled me to take the step into the first thing. And, you know, the way you described it in terms of working the muscle, at the time, it didn't feel it. it, it didn't feel like a, you know, when you're like, you're going you're gonna to do the squat and you're mm-hmm. like, I'm going to do it. And mm-hmm. you get it and like, ah. It wasn't that. It wasn't like me kind of pulling myself up and bracing mm-hmm. myself or whatever. It almost felt like a yielding, kind Flow. of a giving up. Giving it, giving it. And tapping up. out. Surrender. I've been trying to justify me going into management consulting. It was allowing,
0: not forcing.
1: It was, al- and I was like, okay, I, I've been, I feel like I've been swimming against the stream, hmm. trying to justify me doing this thing, but it's really not where my life is. I, I it doesn't feel right. I keep trying to fit the round peg in the square hole. It's not mm-hmm. working. So. It was like okay fine I give up I'll go and I'll do something related to big questions and God and and the universe and I'll go do that um, okay I give up hmm. so maybe the the muscle is not the leap it's a posture the muscle is the letting go or something yeah. like that and yeah. also I just I just felt kind of beaten into submission yeah. it, in a loving way that's yeah. a violent image and I don't it's imperfect as a metaphor but yeah. um, uh, you know pushing 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 and this thing isn't moving so I'm just gonna give up Mm -hmm. and and then go with the flow Mm -hmm. yeah yield to it and I the 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 disordering in college just happened um, from uh, this moment in my junior year where I felt really really dry spiritually Um, felt like God didn't exist Felt like my prayers just went up to the ceiling, hit the tiles, mm-hmm. and landed at my feet. And um, looking back, you know, maybe there was some depression there too. Mm. Those long New England winters, and I found myself at a uh, two. Two things happened. One, I had I reenacted the movie The Graduate Kay. with a divinity school professor, <laughs> and then I then I'm. Um, met a monk, and so, uh, I was, I was, here I was, this, like, ardent, earnest, young Christian at Harvard, like, involved in all the campus ministry stuff, and going to church every Sunday, and going to my Bible study, and doing that, those things do exist at Harvard despite its, uh, image, they're absolutely there, and much stronger and more vibrant than one would expect, and, um, but my junior year, I was in a class that was challenging a lot of my spiritual worldview, Mm -hmm. and, um, and I was about to give up on the whole thing. And I was pacing on the steps of Memorial Church, which is right in the middle of Harvard Yard. And I, I felt physically like my faith, like leaving my body. And I felt like I was holding on to it, like with my fingertips. And I had this thought go talk to Mark Knoll. And Mark Knoll is a professor now retired from Notre Dame before that he was at Wheaton College. And he's like the greatest, you know, top two greatest historians of American religion wow. hmm. and with a special focus on kind of the, of the history of evangelical Christianity in the United States. And he was teaching a class I was taking that semester on the history of evangelical Christianity, a visiting professor at Harvard Divinity School. I was like, I, somehow this idea made sense to my brain to try to go talk to this <laughs> eminent scholar of American yeah. religion. And, and I knew he was and is an yeah. actual believing Christian person. So I didn't know where his office was, but I, I fast walked slash ran to the campus of the Divinity School, which is like in this little tree-filled neighborhood um, in Cambridge. And I found his, I was like in this, um, next to this building, and I saw him through this giant place gla- plate glass window. This is the graduate scene. So I go up to the plate glass window. Like, on I it. kind of bang on it a little bit. <laughs> didn't bang. I knocked on the window. But that's, I see myself as Dustin Hoffman. Yes, like yes. So, and he kind of, there he was. He didn't have any shelves in it, so there's just like books piled up all over because it was kind of a temporary office and he he motioned for me to come in. So I found the door, came to his office and thank God he was there. Hmm. I mean, I had no appointment. I just barged in on this guy and um, I don't remember anything he said except Jesus says over and over in the New Testament, do not be afraid. And he had enough wherewithal to see that I was terrified. Hmm. And he said, there's answers to your questions. Hopefully you'll figure them out at some point. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. But, but Jesus says over and over, do not fear. And I left his office renewed. Hmm. Not fully, but on yeah. my way. Yeah. And um, yeah, and then there's the monk. Tell me about the monk. So, in that... And I, I wish I could remember the order of those two events. They happened around the same time. And I don't know which happened... I feel like the monk must have happened after this, because um, if it happened before, I don't know that I would have gone running into a professor's It's This office. is very
0: Joseph Campbell. You, I know. You're, you're, finding, cave. you're finding
1: your guide. You're leaving the cave, yep. left the village. <laughs> <laughs> don't map your narratives onto me, Gustafson. I'm unique. Um, so... Uh, my major was history of science and I focused on the relationship between religion and science okay. and so my friend Peter Heltzel invited me to a talk given by a maybe not theistic rabbi at a Unitarian Universalist church in Arlington Massachusetts okay. and I went and it was exactly what you'd expect a bunch of sort of retired professor looking types um uh, tweed jackets that had been worn for 40 years and um, a lot of NPR tote bags, yes. you know, yes. very thoughtful white people around and um, listening to this rabbi talk and they had like a little, a little refreshment area. And so um, before the talk, I was nibbling as what a college student does on the free food and there was this old man there who was the most unlike everybody else there. In that he was wearing denim overalls, he had an enormous white beard, and little John Lennon glasses. Hmm. So think Santa Claus in overalls, <laughs> and wearing an enormous pectoral cross, like one yep. of those big pectoral on your, your pectoral muscles, like on your yeah, chest, I don't like have this those. big. Like um, think of like pictures of Rasputin, like a, just a big Got you. cross. On gotcha. Your, and um, flavor-flavored clock size <laughs> cross <laughs> on his chest. And and he was eating, he was like munching some you know little cookies and had the crumbs in his beard and um, just he didn't look like anybody else in the room so I was like what is that guy uh, and turns out he's a monk hmm. in the Episcopal Church there's a men's um, religious community monastic order called the Society of Saint John the Evangelist I so we have that. monks we have monks. I gotta go find those guys. They're, they're badass. Maybe those are my people. Yeah, yeah. So the monastery is right there in Cambridge, like right next to Harvard. Next time you're in Boston, go to SSJE. They were founded in England in the mid 1800s. Okay. And they came to Durham, North Carolina, and uh, Cambridge, Mass. And I think the only American order still is in hmm. in Cambridge, Mass. They're fabulous. So, uh, anyways, I didn't know any of that at the time. And he was—he had been given a hall pass, like because he wasn't wearing his habit. Yeah. he was like out on the town at this religion science lecture in Arlington, Massachusetts, on a weeknight. And so I went to talk to him, and just to say hi, because it looked interesting, and you know, began to tell him, oh, I grew up in the Episcopal Church. I'm not really in it now. Um, and we just got chatting, and I guess because of his monkish powers or whatever, I just started spilling my guts, like, oh my i I feel like I'm losing my faith. I don't know what's happening to me. And as somebody by the way who's ordained now, like that does happen. People yeah. find out you're a minister, they see the call or whatever, and you start hearing the they let dirty details or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So and he so we he kind of like, let's go sit down. So we sit down, I keep talking, I tell my thing. And at the end of my story, it's it sounds almost corny, but it was so beautiful and impossible that this happened. He just, uh, like, think of this Santa Claus, crumbs in his yeah. beard, little twinkle in his eye, yep. like jolly old elf, kind of yep. night before Christmas feeling. And he just sort of, he's smiling at me. And again, like Mark Knoll was like, do not fear. You could tell this monk had seen, th- seen some things. Mm-hmm. And he was like, uh, he he, he, didn't, he didn't get scared with me yeah. or get like, um, I don't know. He wasn't, he wasn't shocked or surprised at my story. And he just smiled at me. And he said, I am safe in the sacred heart of the Savior, and so are you. And when he said that, he, like, poked me really hard three times. (laughs) So are you, right in the chest, but smiling. And I felt, again, lightened. It's more tailwind. Whew. And so he told me that they had evening prayer at the monastery, and, like, the next night I was there, and it felt like a homecoming. Vespers. They call those vespers. Uh, one Something can like one can call that even song. Even song, yeah. Yes. Vespers is a, it's another. I mean, yeah, I'm can, learning the liturgy. They're totally. You can use both. Um, and if yeah, it felt like a homecoming, and that was sort of the beginning of my return to the Episcopal Church, huh. Huh. and then Kazakhstan, and then seminary. And all those things, yeah. Who knows? So, <sighs> I? so yep. uh, but I think it was those that tailwind trying to trying to get to your question. Some of that tailwind. Looking back now, and this, you're not always conscious of this at the time, right. but I think those moments were, kind of began to put the pieces back together mm-hmm. for me, which I think gave me the courage, the strength, the desperation, whatever mm-hmm. it took to, to yield mm-hmm. and, and go to Central Asia to give my, to have, you know, it's that trust fall feeling. Yeah, like it, seems like they see were very, you,
0: it seems like they were very calming energies. Yes.
1: And I was able to let myself go, fall back, and be caught by the arms. And for me, letting go meant okay, I'm going to stop whatever my attempt is to build something here, and I'm going to give up. And I'm going to. This opportunity has presented itself. It's aligned with what I claim I believe that God is important, and people have meaning, and uh, temporal stuff is just temporal stuff. So if I really believe on that, maybe I should, you know give up this struggle and go do this thing and find out what happens and that's you know that's how I met my wife and that's how I made these relationships with people that I'm still in touch with to this day and it was a hugely important experience in me figuring out um ministry was something that was full of joy and full of meaning and and that God would take care of me and Mm. just give myself to that process yeah it's
0: beautiful how how many years now would you say you've officially been in ministry?
1: I was ordained in two
0: thousand eight. Okay, so um, it's fourteen years. There you go. Um,
1: Told you I couldn't do math.
0: What? Uh, this is this is a this is a big jump from where we've been. I'm. I'm but for it. but time is a ticking. Time's ticking. Um, the good news is we can come back. Okay. We can revisit these part two. If you're open to sequel. It. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um What's keeping you curious today? Like I know I know that I kind of briefed you on that of, of a question that I, I wanna ask the questions that you don't get asked. Yeah. I wanna I wanna get into the like the stuff that's like when you're driving mm. and there's no music on and you're in deep thought, like what is it you're you're curious about, you're interested in, you're fired up about, or you have questions on, yeah. all of that in that bucket. Yeah. Um, and that can be life, that can be this social, political moment we're in. Mm. Uh, how about it? I'm curious about so much. Fire away, as Taylor Goldsmith would say.
1: <sighs> That's right, he would say. <laughs> uh... I am curious about why people aren't more curious. Let's go. High five. Uh I there there are a lot of people who have a, f- a view of God that I think and this is going to sound awful and arrogant terrible i'm a bad pastor um they have a view of god that is and, and it's 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 again I, I i need people to like me so that's why i gave all these caveats before i say terrible things i'm, I'm not like a joe rogan that's just gonna yeah. say a terrible thing and love you joe if you're listening i know you're an avid um oh yeah joe's always a good fam. term, beautiful or you know there's people that just Lots of, lots of I mean, people just say what they want and yeah. don't care. And I'm like, but I need you to like me. So I fully acknowledge that my own view of God, like every human being's understanding of what we call God, is going to be limited and f- shot full of holes. Um, but you, I, I, many people have a view of God, I think, that is so limited and... Um, Crippling, mm-hmm. and hurtful, and small, and I wonder. And again, the way I tell the story, I'm the hero, right? Like, but I've got the enlightened view. So what I'm saying, like, I don't have it all figured out. But, but what if? But what if? I mean, at least I know from. And I'm talking. I can only talk about stuff inside my own house. So this is this is the Christian world in which I live. Um, but even in our own Christian texts it says radical things like God is love. Yeah. And Jesus Christ is the friend of sinners. And I could go on chapter and verse about all these wild ideas. And love keeps no record of wrongs. And love keeps no record of wrongs. I said that in a sermon it's not a on Friday. It's not a loud gong, which you have, or have. a clanging symbol <laughs> which you will get. Um, yeah, and, and yet... People don't seem curious about their own lives, and their own theology, their own understanding of God. Um, just the the, I'm curious about how Christians can be so cruel hmm. to fellow humans who they will say, "I believe that you are made in the image of God," and yet somehow they feel allowed as as Christians. They feel it's okay to talk about people publicly in a demeaning, dismissive, minimizing way. Mm. In our baptismal covenant, which you heard at St. Albans on Sunday because we had confirmations and um, that's an extension of the, the sacrament of baptism. Um, one of the things in our baptismal covenant, after you promise to you know, renounce evil and turn to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and follow and obey Him with God's help and, and then one of the questions, will you respect the dignity of every human being? Mm. I will with God's help. And that seems to me like just kindergarten in Christianity. Like yeah. respect the dignity of every human being. Yeah. And, I, and I know that I don't do it. And I know that uh, we've, we struggle with it. But what really sticks in my craw is people that seem to be not reflective at all about the ways they're not respecting the dignity of every human being, hmm. and that's you know that's the language used in our tradition. So there's a, you know in another Christian tradition you'd say something else. All people are made in God's image. Life is sacred. Something like that. Yeah. But there should be. We should not be horrible to each other all the time, and it seems like we're horrible to each other all the time. And I'm curious about where that comes from. I think I know some of where mm-hmm. it comes from. What I'm curious about is why there isn't reflection in the church mm-hmm. to look at ourselves mm-hmm. and say. This is not in alignment with how Jesus acted towards people. Mm -hmm. This is not in alignment with what our own texts say. Uh, Keep no record of wrongs, forgive 70 times seven, God is love. I mean, again, I could go on and on. So that's what I'm curious about. I'm curious um, about um, what people are gonna do about the changing climate. Hmm. I'm curious about how church and society will respond and how the world is going to remake itself in light of that. That's kind of a 100 to 200 to 300 year question. I'm also curious about uh, this new movement that I've I heard it on a podcast um, and, it's, and I forget the name of it, but it's something about considering the fact that like most mammalian species exist for about a million years or something like that. Okay. And we're, we're like in the first 10,000 years of humanity. So there's some ridiculous number of how many more human beings are going to exist on the planet. It's like from now, you know, if the clock runs out or, you know, the Lord, I, I confess every Sunday, he will come again. So it could short circuit this whole thing. But if things, you know, depending on how long, a thousand years of the Lord, it's like a day. A day is like a thousand years. So, um, but if we have another, you know, few hundred thousand years to go and there's going to be hundreds of millions of more people, how do we live today mm-hmm. in light of that? so those are all things that ideas that I've heard that have recently blown my mind that I'm sort of thinking about
0: you're mulling on I'm mulling
1: banging around. Yep, And I also, and then I'll, I'll bring it back home kind of personally. I wonder, I'm curious about as I age, um, do the things that I struggle with, you know, like I was just talking before as my, my three ish needs for approval. Like I'm curious about, does that, do those voices get quieter mm. as I age? I think they have a little bit. I'm not old, but I'm older. I say I'm not old. My kids would say I'm super yeah. old, but I don't know. Father
0: Richard taught once. I think I mentioned this. Father Richard Roar for those newbies. I think I mentioned in a podcast not long ago, he broke down every decade when mm. we were in a room once. He's like, you know, in your 20s, this is the, the, the big question, and it's you're, you're wondering, like, what do these people think of you? What does everyone think of me? Yeah. In your 30s, you're like, what are, what do these people Think and then in your forties, what does that person think? And he's yeah. like, then in your fifties, he's like, you wake up one day and you're like, no one's ever been thinking about you at all. Yeah, <laughs> yes, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, my senses are they do get softer. Yeah, those voices. Um. Back to the curiosity question, though, of why do we? Um. Why is why is there that that just baseline that note of of anger of opposition Mm. um often think there's like this addiction to competition of Mm -hmm. winning i mean like two days of our week are owned by one sport where one team wins like you got to think at some point that gets into the psyche and we demand certitude we demand to wear the the right jersey be on the right team yeah um I also can't help but think for my own life, all of that shift in consciousness for me has, has come about by being shown from another mm-hmm. how to taste, or what to taste, how mm-hmm. to see, mm-hmm. um, which is I think where your work in the world comes to play.
1: One you know? hopes, and I will say, um, you came to St. Albans fully healed and enlightened. <laughs> But there are people a glow. I was a aglo- I was a blaze. That's right. Um, yeah, we actually we turned down the lights because <laughs> you were emitting so much. Uh, we didn't. We didn't need it. Um, even now, for our listeners, I'm wearing sunglasses. Just it's yeah, sort of yeah, a Moses like with the veil <laughs> deal. Um, I. But we are we are a we are a, a a refuge, an oasis for people that are trying to hang on to Jesus. Are trying to hang on to some sort of spiritual commitment or a life where God is a real thing, um, but they want to. Um, they're they're reordering. Mm-hmm. They're they're trying to get rid of things that they were taught at some point. If you're on Team Jesus, you have to have all this other stuff too. Mm-hmm. There's all these other requirements and commitments you have to own if you're going to be on board with uh, Yeshua Mashiach. and then. At some point, they just want Yeshua, and they mm-hmm. don't want the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And we're we're often the last or one of the last stops in the line before they before they give up. And so, you know, to the extent that I can be a person, and it, I think I have, by God's grace, functioned as a person who can remind folks of the fact that God is love, and that if God was keeping a record, we'd all be toast. And so, clearly, if if Jesus. Um, If anything Jesus did in his ministry has any truth or meaning to it, the main function of God clearly cannot be to keep track Mm -hmm. of who's got more points on the board Mm -hmm. and then give the trophy to the winners at Mm -hmm. the end. And if God's not... If his main concern, if God's main concern is not the behavior of human beings, he cares about it, sure. But... um, the view of, that Christ shows us is, is sort of what's inside the person mm-hmm. is much more interesting. And, yeah. But so if God's, if God's not about behavior control all the time, why are God's people about behavior control all the time? And so I think it's in Albans where a reminder that maybe what you, what you were given about God is not all, it's not all there is. There's yeah. more to the story. And so I, I am grateful for, the, for Brother John and all these people in my life that were able to um, kind of get me Out of those dark places and and a little bit more oriented towards the light Um, because it does have to be mirrored
0: to you absolutely like it it, there's I I mean any conversation I have that feels like someone who's gone through the journey of an evolution of consciousness of Mm. I was once here and thought this way and did this and now I'm here then I took some ayahuasca and (laughs) and it's and passed the peyote you know and it's all and it but it all. It all begins to expand. Yeah, it becomes deeper. It becomes wider. Everybody, you you, you start you start hearing the language yeah. with other people. Yeah, and and it's there's the the, the language lacks weaponry. Mm. There, you you start losing the. It's just a battle. Just yeah. a battle out there, man. Yeah. Yeah. You, you start leaving the warlike language, and you you enter this experience that's yeah. mysterious and yeah. it's beautiful and it's. Um, Unexplainable. Yeah. Um. There, there is, there is a, there is a piece on the other side of understanding, and yet you know you yeah. don't understand it. Yeah. Um. That I couldn't say those things. Yeah. I get surrounded by a bunch of books in here,
1: but somebody had to mirror that to me. Yeah. Um. So, and what's what what that kind of calls to mind uh, reminds me of the fact that after those amazing experiences I talked about with. Professor Mark Noble and Brother John Mathis, uh, and the reminders that Jesus says not to fear, and that I'm safe in the sacred heart of the Savior—all these experiences of grace. Uh, then I go to seminary and become a Pharisee, and I, I sort of fall off the wagon, in a sense. And I um, went to seminary thinking that I, here I was in a place where I'd learn enough of the Bible and enough theology and. Biblical languages or church history and uh, manipulation techniques or whatever uh, that I could then go into a church and I could put people on the on the, on the spiritual achievement quest mm, yeah. and then I could I, I could do all the things that I just talked about not doing uh, making God only really caring about behavior yeah. and how are you doing and are you performing to an adequate level and are you meeting the standard I went to seminary to learn how to thump people with the Bible to get them to be better. Yeah, In my own Episcopal tradition, our own <laughs> Episcopal way, but that's what I was going to do. And I had, the, I had a professor who was the dean of the seminary at the time, and who's still a friend and mentor named Paul Zoll, who was the who was the next guide in this process for me. Uh, his son just came and spoke at St. Albans. Yep. He's got three boys who so are all in ministry in various ways. But uh, Paul was someone who... Majored in grace in a way that I had never seen before mm-hmm. because every Christian teacher on some level that I'd been except maybe brother John, but on some level was always a little bit like the gospel is good news but don't get crazy but but and so it was like always they always rescued the law from the jaws of the gospel at the yep. very end. yeah like you yep. did this great gospel proclamation or whatever and then they say, but. but proceed with caution but you know don't, don't go don't, down that road. You know, um only give them so much rope that's right so i and the humans we love rules we love control because it puts the ego at the center It's like i'm making it done and oh please judge my performance and because i'm doing great and so that's why i went to seminary and paul was someone who kept talking about jesus in a way that i had sort of forgotten maybe i'd once known but i kind of forgotten this is paul's all not saint paul but um he would he would just point to these stories in the New Testament of Jesus letting people off the hook, left and right. And he would say things like, you don't need to have a quiet time. And I was like, what? God is not pleased. <laughs> you know? Um, and uh, because I was I was like Mr. Gritting my teeth and white knuckling mm-hmm. to like be better, and I was always beating myself up for not doing more, but at least I was doing more than the next person and, and all that. And... Um, and I just remember seeing Paul in class, and people would say, but what about this, or what about that, Or what about the injunction to do these things, and Paul says do this, the yeah, Apostle Paul, Paul this time. And he would just say, oh, that's really interesting. I've received that. And he wouldn't engage. Just let it hang. He just let it hang. And he just let the message do the work. Yep. And there were some people who fought it tooth and nail. Yep. And I was one of those people until I realized how miserable I was. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, you know what? This is exhausting. I was in my little rented house, wife, kid, another one on the way, in seminary, getting ready to be a minister. And I said, I'm exhausted. I'm trying to make everybody around me perfect. I'm trying to make myself perfect. Um, I'm very judgmental and I'm very tired. And if what Paul says is, if, it, if there's any truth to it at all, and he's just pointing back to what Jesus does and what the Apostle Paul taught and what the New Testament seems to indicate that God is love and actually forgives sinners, um, I'm just going to pretend for this week like it's true. Hmm. And I didn't know it then. The language I would use now is I was given permission to be compassionate towards myself. Yeah. yeah. And, and
0: simultaneously probably became
1: centered, aligned, and connected within yourself. I think so. I mean, it was, it, so it allowed me to say, to be honest, these things in my life are not going well. And Which were some... stemming from control. Right. Uh, Denial. Denial. I think there was a lot of, like, compartmentalization within myself. Hmm. And again, this didn't fix me overnight, but I was like, just for a week, I'm going to pretend like Jesus loves me and not go down this 30-minute self-loathing prayer of repentance Every time I have a dirty thought or something like that, like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to actually believe the gospel just for this week. And I knew in my, and I even kind of said this in my mind, like, if this doesn't work out, I can always go back to the mm-hmm. law. I can always go back to the Pharisaism mm-hmm. uh, or judgmental approach in my, that I've been using to ill effect. I can always go back to that. Um, but the transformation again, not hundred percent, but it was real. It was immediate mm. and it was lasting and I felt more joy and peace and I was just less of a jerk to be around Hmm. um so much so that the people in my house noticed and um again it wasn't I wasn't I didn't graduate it or anything but I was from what it is to be a human being I still had flaws and still do but but it was a transformative thing and I sort of have never gone back um
0: was that a shift of dropping the need to be correct and have everyone around you correct to more now now more interested in being connected like i think there's a yeah. I, I think there's a, a shift speaking from my own experience that i noticed i became way more interested in being connected with the moment mm. another mm-hmm. uh the season i'm in like versus White knuckling it, everything has to be this way and correct. And there's the right answers and there's the wrong answers and there's the right team and the wrong team. For me, that was the shift I noticed. 2014 ish, uh, uh, just and it was subtle, but it was for sure a, a newfound interest in being connected over being correct. And it, mm-hmm. and it really was a freeing, liberating yeah. place. It, it no longer was an interesting conversation. You know?
1: Yeah, and I think, too, realizing that um, my um, inner monologue of self-loathing and correction, lecturing myself, it gave me the freedom and and permission to admit that it wasn't working. Which also helped me to see that it wasn't working for other people. Like, not only were they not improving themselves, it it, went... If I would suggest to anyone that they needed to fix something in their lives, um, whether a full-blown lecture or maybe a little "quote-unquote" subtle hint that got dropped, like um, it wasn't working for them either. Like the the telling somebody to get better does not make them better. Telling yeah. myself to get better does not make myself get better. And so. Coming to a place of sort of rest and acceptance of myself was changed the way I interact with people. And it changes the way I preach. You know, I don't end my sermons with now, here are the three things you have to do to put this into practice. I'm totally happy to let the Holy Spirit guide you in that mm-hmm. um, because the Holy Spirit probably knows more of what that needs to look like in your life. And any, I could, I could tell you for 25 minutes that God loves you, but if in the last minute I give you some things to do, that's all you're going to hear. And you're not going to do them, so then you're going to feel bad about yourself for not doing them. Or if you do them, you're going to feel good about yourself for doing them, pat yourself on the back. But you're, but you're now you're back on the ladder, yeah, yeah. climbing the stairway to heaven. Yeah. And I want to tell you that you're already at the top.
0: So it's an inside
1: job. It's an inside job. Always is. Always has been. <laughs> That's the thing, and uh, yes, yeah. I mean it. it uh, I was. You know, this is just a little example of this. Um, one of the things that was, like, on my list of spiritual to-dos when I was in my kind of legalistic, hardcore, Ashton Gustafson phase, <laughs> I um, was, like, journaling. Like, had to read my Bible, pray about it, and journal. And have, like, in my journal, like, plans. Like, these are, I've scored... I got this many points for this. Not really, but like, it was sort of like, no, there was a scorecard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and towards the end, before I had this kind of spiritual awakening, um, which is a really vaulted way to say, um, like I realized I was an a-hole. Um, that was something that I was like, always like, I got to do it. And if I haven't done it, God's unhappy with me and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and after I allowed myself to believe that maybe the gospel is true, I basically stopped journaling
0: mm.
1: for 15 years. Mm-hmm. And then a year ago, felt like it would be important and maybe a good thing to do. With a whole new energy. With a whole new energy, a whole new mindset. Um, it isn't what we do. It's I the energy I of wasn't doing it to make God happy. Uh, I was doing it because this would be helpful for me um and uh and it's been really pretty amazing and one and it, again it's God loved me before, God loved me during, God loved me after like I'm winning no points yeah. there's no more points to score yeah. the scoreboard has been removed the religion there's uh uh father capen uh Robert fair capen says like if you go to the religion store, the sign on the window says closed for business <laughs> and so there's not, so it's, it's a completely different. And it was an inside job. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that I woke up one day and said, like, okay. Yeah. Religion like, is the school of letting go. I'm, yes. I'm not going to cultivate a habit of journaling now. Or, yeah. like, whatever. It's just, this happened. Um, so approaching life from a point of view where I'm accepted from the get-go is massively different. And I, 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 um, it does change the way you approach people as well. When you come in, into my office... Um, I am not going to begin with the mindset that I need to listen to what this person says so I can find the keys to make them fixed. Coldplay song "Fix You," yep. beautiful song. Horrible relationship and spiritual advice. Yep. It's the key to codependency. Yep. But so, then we've got Dawes that didn't fix me. I know. There you go. That's right. Dawes <laughs> is the 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 yin to the yang of Coldplay that's right so yeah I think uh, all those things are um, I'm grateful for that, that guide along the way and somebody that, that gave me the, the permission to let go mm. of the law and to live like the gospel is actually true in
0: closing what advice would you give to your younger self
1: who <laughs> uh, get arrested not, you know Spice it up a little you bit. You know what I'm saying. Like, you know, there was a whole lot of um, acting in my youth, acting like God was the was the principle. Hmm. You know, looking for infractions. And it was a very fear-based way to move through the world. Hmm. And it was sort of, it was, it was, there was a lot of good at that time in my life, but there was a lot of just kind of like stifling, um, repression, um, you know, I'm not saying I need to go to Burning. Camouflaged or ego, yeah, absolutely. in the costume
0: of you're a good boy.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Don't don't analyze me. <laughs>
0: I'm right there with you. Hey, I'm safe. Are you a licensed therapist? Simi- no, sir. I'm a redneck <laughs> from North Texas.
1: <laughs> well. uh... I will say to the listeners: the furniture here is very tasteful. There is not, there are, there are no taxidermied animals in this room. Not least. in this room. No. Maybe other parts of the no, house.
0: No, don't go in that back room. But not here. Um, you've got places to be. Uh, I think we went well. Souls over. aren't going to save themselves. I think Ashton. we went well over an hour. Okay.
1: Mm. Um, Just cut out the fluff at the beginning. Can, can no, that's staying. Can we do this again? Absolutely. Okay. You should bring the gong next time so when I've got like ten That's minutes right. left. But it's it's too right far away. There. Yeah, it's too gotta, far. We'll do that. We'll light, light that. the
0: candles, light the holy wood. Smells and bells. That's right. um, thank you for your good and necessary work in the world. You're welcome. Great I'm grateful to be under your your honor, your honor. You should be. Your Reverend Rector, Miss. <laughs> uh, till good. next time.